0: Welcome to another Fresh Take. My name is Brad Ruggles. And I'm Matt Gaylor. And uh, we are here with a special guest again. And as a little bit of background for this uh, podcast episode, what we realized the last time that we had Sarah in the studio is that we had a fantastic conversation. It was was, awesome. It it was truly an amazing conversation. And afterwards, when we went to go uh, begin the editing process, I realized, to my horror, that it was just video and there was no audio. It was a classic mistake made by a newbie like myself. We're we're just uh, just into the very beginning of this podcast, it's and in, so yeah, it is in its infancy. It and was a rookie move, and I was horrified. And Sarah uh, graciously agreed to come back out for a second go around. I like around. to think
1: it's because we had such a good time. So she's like, sure, I'll come back.
0: In in reality, she's just being incredibly gracious. But uh, we hope that this is not the uh, last time that she's in the studio because she has some great stuff to say. You're going to be hearing her, uh, those of you who attended Inspire. She's going to be speaking here coming up uh, in uh, June and Mm -hmm. again in August. So we're excited to include her in the teaching team because we think she has some great things to say. But uh specifically we wanna kinda start this first episode with the uh an introduction to her so that all of you could get to know her. So no, uh,
1: Brad, before we started the podcast, be, oh, before I we said start. I had oh. something I was saving for I, you.
0: I was hoping you he were was gonna forget to skip I was that. hoping you, you were that, gonna Sarah? forget that. So No,
1: I have a joke <laughs> and those of you who listen and or if you attend Inspire, you know that like I have some friends, I go sit at the McDonald's here in Westfield, Indiana have some buddies. I got a buddy named Merv. He told me a joke that I wanted to share with you. And I have not told you this before, because this is, Hmm. it's actually, it's more of a
0: dream that I had than a a joke. Do I need to hover my finger over the mute button or? No, uh, no, no. So uh, I had this
1: dream, Brad, that uh, I died and I wake up in this like valley, like a grass, like beautiful valley. And you were there with me. And so we're both there and... I mean, it's after death, so I don't know exactly how this whole thing was working, but we look and there's this like little handwritten sign that says heaven and it's got an arrow pointing in, a, you know, off down the valley. So I was like, dude, I want to go to heaven. And you're like, me, too. So let's go. So we start walking. And uh, I mean, it's a like it's a, it's a long walk. And we're taking off and we get down there and we keep following the signs. There's a sign every once in a while. We get to the bottom of this big old mountain and the sign says heaven and it's pointing up this mountain. And I told you, I was like, dude, we've been walking for a long time. I'm getting tired. I'm wore out. I can't do this. I'm not sure I can make it to heaven. And you're like, dude, I've been doing CrossFit. I've been working out. Uh, Get on my back and I'll carry you to heaven. It's beautiful. And I was like, that is a good friend right there, Brad. Like, you know, so I was like, I'm shameless. I want to get to heaven that bad. So I was like, I will put my pride down and let Brad carry me up this mountain. So I get on your back and you start carrying me up the mountain and we get to the top of the mountain and you just kind of walk up and I'm so tired. Like, and I've just been riding. I haven't even been doing anything. Get, you get, take us up to the side there and I knock on the gate and uh, the gates open and St. Peter comes to the to the door and he was like, Hey Matt, what's up? We're so excited to see you here. Tie up your donkey and come on in. Wow.
0: <laughs> that was the joke. That was it. That oh wow okay. Tie up
2: the donkey. That's a lot <laughs> of build up for that.
1: Yeah, I thought it was funny. Every that... time I've told it, people have laughed. There's something wrong with you. Wow. People. <laughs> wow.
0: This is just like—is
1: uh, it a slow burn? Like, did it take I, you a minute? No, to realize you're I, I, I kind of have the
0: same feeling that a lot of the Game of Thrones fans have. Had in this last season, which is like this is what we've been waiting for. This was it. Sarah so, well, it's probably because I built this thing up, and maybe, made you that, was deeper it. Deeper. maybe that, that was it. Maybe that was better. a lot of talk First before told. we
2: started recording. A
1: lot yeah. Of,
0: yeah. Well, anywho, on, on that note, on that high up your donkey,
1: come on.
0: On that note, <laughs> <laughs> we will jump right in here. We've got uh, we've got Sarah Daniel here in the uh, studio with us there, and she is with unconditional ministries and she has a very unique uh story to tell as to how she got into a ministry that probably would be unfamiliar to most and can we
1: say she's going to give us a fresh take
0: Right. Uh Possibly, I think so. You like right. how I did that? You're you in a that? mood today. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm on this... a roll is what you call that. <laughs> you know, right, right. You could call it something. I don't know what you call it there. But uh, anyway, so Sarah, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? You can start maybe by telling us specifically kind of like, you know, the big 30,000 foot overview as to what your ministry is, you know, the Elevator speech: You meet somebody yeah. and they're like, "What do you do?" Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of get into the nitty gritty as to you know what that looks like in terms of your day to day life and how that applies. So,
2: yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm the founder and director of Unconditional, and what we do is we exist to be the bridge between the adult entertainment and sex industry and the church. And so mm-hmm. we do that by going into local strip clubs and we bring gifts to everyone that's working there. is just a way of saying you know. We know that in the past Christians may have not treated you well or have judged you and we just want to say we're sorry and then we don't think that's Jesus Uh, and we just want to be your friend. So from there we just build authentic life transforming friendships um, and then we help connect women to resources if that is something that they need because um, that can be a big obstacle for a lot of women is if they need resources and they work in the um, commercial sex industry or adult entertainment industry, uh, it can be hard to get help if you need it because of all the stigmas that and stereotypes that exist in our society. Um, and it can be difficult even to make friends and have a support system um, because of those aforementioned stigmas. Uh, sometimes if you have family, um, they might not know what it is that you do, um, or you may have told them and they may have cut you off as a result. And then same thing with friends, or sometimes even if friends know what you do. Um, they might just have a lot of misconceptions and it's difficult to talk about work with them so with us going to the clubs where women work then we're able to just say hey I know where you work I really don't care because that's where we met and Mm. I just want to be your friend and um, being immersed in that culture helps us to be able to better relate and understand um, and just be a safe sounding board for people as they need to process things or just need some encouragement
0: Mm. and you've been doing this for how long now
2: yeah, so we launched in two thousand in December of two thousand twelve, um, so about six and a half years now.
0: Okay, okay. So within you mentioned that it's a bridge between the commercial sex industry or adult entertainment industry and the church. We often don't think of that being a bridge that either needs to be built or one that would require us going. That direction. So, in, mm-hmm. in a directional bridge, right? Mm-hmm. We would assume that if there's going to be a bridge, that it should be a bridge of them coming away from their their source of employment mm-hmm. to us, right. to the church. You know. So, I mean, I think lots of churches could get behind outreach events or things that would draw on those kind of things. Why did you choose to make that a bridge, a directional bridge, going to where they are at?
2: Mm-hmm. Because um, that's the model Jesus gave us, you know, God sent Christ to earth to us to be in relationship with us. And so I just think it's really interesting that um, the American evangelical church, we don't follow that same model. Like we just mm. try to have these events that are um, exciting and to draw people in and sometimes almost bait and switch people. Mm-hmm. Um, but Christ went to us and to where we were comfortable. And so You know, for many women, not everyone, but for many women in these industries, um, there has been a lot of hurt by the church. And there's a lot of mistrust. Um, I've met a lot of women that grew up in abusive households where religion was used as an abusive tool or women who were married to pastors who used their position of authority to abuse them and Mm. um, their church condoned it. Mm. And so when you look at those kind of hurts and then also there's people that stand outside the clubs and tell women they're going to hell or they're a whore and just all these other awful things, like why in the world would they step inside our church building? Um, and then even just with the idea of women in the industry get judged everywhere they go, not just in the church, but in secular, um, regular environments. And so that's even more scary to go inside the church where American Christians are kind of known for being judgmental and not super accepting. And so right. that's why it's important for us to to go to where women are and then also to better understand um, their situation, too, right. because... If you if you don't understand um, someone's world, then it can just be really difficult to relate and to be in real authentic relationship. And mm. then when we don't understand someone's culture and where they're coming from, um, then that also can create uh, just holding them to expectations that um, are not accurate for where they're at. And I think that's something the church were really good at is just holding people to expectations that um, without understanding where they're coming from right, and right. the whole situation. So. So, oh,
0: go ahead. Yeah, so so on that note, let's let's dive in a little bit there. What are what are some of the misconceptions that uh, not just Christians, but that people have of of individuals working within the adult entertainment industry?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot, <laughs> um, and there was a lot that I had when I first started this, and so. Um, You know, I'll have friends from the industry now tell me like, oh, my gosh, like you understand this so much. And I'm like, girl, glad you didn't know me my first year because I was dumb. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the biggest misconceptions is just um, one obsessing with why women are working in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like people usually either want to paint people in the industry as um, a total victim, like they're all being trafficked and they're all being held there against their will or um, on the other end of the spectrum as like, well, everyone is just this high class call girl making tons of money and they're 100% by choice uh, when the truth lies somewhere in the middle.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and everyone is there for a different reason and everyone has her own individual story. And I think that's one of the basic misconceptions is we just want to put everyone in the stereotype and in this box so that we can make sense of why it is that they do what they do. Um, instead of looking at people as individuals with their own experiences and stories. Mm -hmm. So typically, um, what I have found over the past six years is women are working in the adult entertainment industry for one of three reasons, and that's choice, circumstance, or coercion. And so choice might just be like, you know you want to dance and you want to make a lot of money and the flexibility is really enticing and you could leave and get a different job if you wanted to, but this is what you've chose to do for now. Um, and then the second reason that I see probably predominantly the most is circumstance. Um, so no one forced you to be in the industry, but it was the best option for your survival so that might be people who have aged out of the foster care system people who are um, running away from abusive uh, relationships and domestic violence or running away from abusive parents um, where this was the best way for them to make a lot of cash really fast at like 18 years old and be able to live on their own Um, so a lot of women have been on their own since they were 15 16 17 and i mean how are you going to provide for yourself mm-hmm. um, and then of course the last reason is coercion which is trafficking which is what I feel like everyone assumes the most mm-hmm. um, and that definitely happens but um, I would say the first two reasons are what I see more often right. than not and,
1: and the we, trafficking oh yeah I was gonna say well we last times that's the story that that people hear breaks mm-hmm. hearts and right. moves people to get involved or whatever the you know one of the stories that I remember hearing A while ago is that you know there's a there's a system in which the the gals when they dance they have to pay the house a certain amount of money and then if they can't cover that fee they're given other opportunities to do other things that could potentially help them cover those fees and just becomes this vicious cycle that they get Mm -hmm. caught up in yeah and so that's a story that you know can it gets people's attention right and and, you know i've heard that
2: yeah and i think as christians we we really want this idea of um loving someone because they're a victim and mm-hmm. I think that's very appealing where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, of course, like I have a heart for you, but loving someone who maybe we think is living in sin and we don't understand why they're sinning or we don't understand their life doesn't, or not even just sin, their, their life just doesn't make sense to us. Um, that's a lot messier and it requires um, humility on our end where if we think someone's a victim, mm-hmm. then we get to play the hero. Mm-hmm. And that's very appealing. Mm-hmm. Um And the reality is that this industry is just incredibly complicated. Like that's kind of one of our unofficial taglines of unconditional is it's complicated (laughs) Um, because I met women who say, you know, the, the, the club ruined my life and saved my life at the same time. And that's, that's a common thing that I hear. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, it saved my life at the time, but now I feel stuck here. And now I've, run into other situations as a result. So right. it's it's complicated. And this is,
0: this is a challenge that is not <clears throat> unique to your industry, but in missions and specifically Christian missions in general. I know a book that I read a number of years ago that changed my life is When Helping Hurts. Mm-hmm. And that whole uh, victim <coughs> and the person riding in on the white horse mentality is prevalent and has been prevalent in a lot of the colonial era mm-hmm. missions and relief work. And that same mentality, I think, can filter into a lot of different outreach events and outreach things. So if we view individuals, if we view these gals as someone who is in need of rescue and Mm -hmm. we are the saviors coming in, it's very easy to kind of like stereotype and and it can be just downright offensive. So like, what have you heard from some of these uh, ladies there in their response to how people view them, whether it's family or Christians or whatever, like, you know, what are some of the ways that we get it wrong?
2: Yeah, um, well, I'll start with just a story of how I got it wrong because, um, you know, it's easy for me now at this point to just point out what's wrong in everyone else. But it was a messy beginning mm-hmm. <laughs> for us too. And you know, I grew up a preacher's kid. I went to a Christian college, like definitely had the like I'm gonna change the world" mentality instead of um, seeing how God wanted to change me and get m- my crap together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so. Um, we had been going to the club for just a few months, and when we bring in gift bags, then in every gift bag is um, a contact card with our information on it. So it has like our email address if people want to get hold of us and our phone number. And on um, the contact cards at that time said, like you are loved, you are beautiful, unconditional and had our contact information. And this girl came up to me at the club and like stormed up to me and she was like, what is this? And I was like 22 at the time. So I was like,
1: oh, I don't know,
2: you're loved. And she's like, oh, so you don't think that I'm loved? You think that I don't know that? You think that I don't know I'm beautiful? You don't think that I have people in my life who love me and take care of me? Like, no, I don't need this. Mm. And that was a very humbling moment where, you know, of course you you want to get defensive or you want to be like, well, it's a spiritual took when really i was just like no we were being dumb and inconsiderate and, and didn't think about how that could come across to someone else and so mm. went home that night um threw away all those cards and ordered new ones and now they just say need someone to talk to unconditional support for women and i still ask my friends all the time like hey like is this okay like is this mm-hmm. you know is this mm-hmm. offensive you'll let me know if it was mm-hmm. um So I think just like the just again, just the assumptions of thinking like we know how someone grew up or we know why someone is doing something that they do. And um, I think that, you know, if you look at just our our media at large, women in the industry are portrayed uh, a lot of times as stupid, Um, like if you watch any TV show, then there's like Almost all the time, there's an episode with a stripper. I don't know why that is, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, since it's a I'm,
0: common trope in TV, right? For sure.
2: And so it's like, oh, the dumb sex worker or the dumb stripper. And they're just this hypersexualized, like, I just love sex and men and I'm really stupid. And that couldn't be anything further from the truth. The women I meet in the industry are some of the most brilliant women I've ever met in my life. And um, so that is a common misconception or just like, um, assuming that women you know aren't smart or can't get other jobs and especially if women want to leave the industry uh it's very difficult to find other work because of these stereotypes and so uh i wish that jobs would understand that the the gifts and strengths and um just brilliantness that's not a word but (laughs) how brilliant these women are um to to give them a chance to understand that just because you have had an occupation in a strip club doesn't mean that you're stupid or don't have any skills.
0: Hmm. Well, talk about some of the hypocrisy going back to the uh, the tropes that we see in in TV and the media. There, uh, why is it? Do you think that you know within that culture, a woman in the adult entertainment industry? is painted in one brush over here that is rather unforgiving and, and one dimensional. Mm-hmm. And yet you have, uh, almost an entire genre of, of, uh, movies and, and, and actors like, you know, I'm thinking the hangover and those type of movies, right. Where the guys that do that, you know, are like, Oh, they're just being guys, mm-hmm. right. You know, guys do that. It's almost a rite of passage, mm-hmm. you know, going to a strip club, you know, and all that. Whereas yes. You know, there's definitely a misconception in terms of the 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 genders there. So,
2: right, yeah, I mean, even just like in jobs, um, I think it was Adidas, or I could be wrong. There was some major company that got in trouble because they were using a lot of their company's money to take clients to clubs,
0: Mm. and
2: so it's like, all right, you'll use company money to go and buy time with women at strip clubs, but you won't hire women who are coming out of strip clubs. So Mm. that's interesting. Mm. Um, but with just in our culture and in, um, you know in in social media and in movies and everything like that um i honestly think it's also it's not just disrespectful to women in the industry but it's also disrespectful to men because it's it's painting men in a very one-dimensional stereotype as well of and then making men feel like oh well if you don't just um, view women as only being used for sex and only for your pleasure then you're not a real man um so I think it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of both because I think about the the men I know who aren't like that and it's like that's not fair that that's what's represented of them as like well you're a manly man if that's mm-hmm. how you treat women. Um so yeah there's definitely there's hypocrisy on on a lot of different levels and then I also just think um not to open up another soapbox but I think as a whole our society just doesn't value women at all mm-hmm. and so it's not surprising that we would especially not value women that work in the adult entertainment or sex industries.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of complexity to these conversations and we, you mentioned earlier that, you know, they're to try to reduce these things down to one dimensional, you know, stereotypes, Mm -hmm. you know, lumps a lot of people from different situations into a single category. Right. So there is an entire spectrum of complexity within this conversation. However, the approach that you take and the focus of your ministry takes an incredibly complicated uh, set of circumstances but your approach is more simple and why is that like uh, talk about your approach in terms of why you go in and do what you do um, and and without in, in some ways without this agenda without these strings attached and stuff
2: Yeah. So really uh, our only agenda is to just be people's friends. And, um, I get a lot of people that just don't understand that. Cause you know, if you look at how, um, social services are and charities and nonprofits, it's, it's really built around this idea of like service provider and person receiving the service. And there's kind of like this power there, you know, where it's like, well, you're the person in need and I'm going to provide this, this service for you. Um, but with women in the industry, like I was saying, like everyone's there for a different reason. everyone has different complicated needs not every not everyone needs something too, um or doesn't want something mm. and so um really, like all we can offer is 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 friendship and then when you are someone's friend, then everything else gets a lot less complicated because you know we. If we're helping someone who they're our friend, then we can understand their situation better and actually help in a way that's um, empowering to them and isn't about us playing the superhero. But it's, you know, a friend, if a friend comes to you and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent this month. And I'm like, I love you. You're my friend. Like, let's figure out how we're going to do this together rather than just seeing a need and swooping down and filling it and not even knowing if you actually did more harm than good. And so... Um, what I love about this ministry is it really just becomes these deep friendships where the women I have met have become some of my closest friends. So it's not like this um, this boxed category of like, oh, well, this is my outreach and these are my friends from the club. But it's like, oh, these are women that we have over to our house for dinner and then I go get coffee with and I work out with and come to my house for for parties and parties at our house are always very interesting (laughs)
1: yeah
2: interesting group of people um and you know and i i love that and then they invite me into their life too and that's Mm. the most um beautiful part of it is when i feel accepted by them because they have no reason to trust and accept me um because of the hurt that's been done by other people and so when someone does trust me and loves me and i'm their friend um that's just very humbling and beautiful and and i love it
0: Mm. Friendship is, it seems like a very a shallow goal for a ministry. Oh, I just want to be friends with them. And yet that was the tagline that was attributed to Jesus. You know, when mm-hmm. people saw him, they said, oh, this is Jesus. He's the friend of sinners. Mm-hmm. I- I'd like to think that uh, that Jesus would have been very similar in terms of his friendship circles as to what you describe when you like introduce your friends oh this is one of my friends from church and this is my friend from the strip strip club those two individuals both being within that circle not you know one being elevated above the other right jesus hung out with both religious leaders from his day his disciples fishermen tax collectors and uh and, and of course we know a couple of the stories we read of some of the longest conversations recorded that Jesus had, uh, were with women mm-hmm. and specifically women who would have been viewed as more the outcast, a social outcast in their day. Mm-hmm. What do you think that tells us about what, uh, how Jesus would approach ministry today? Like what would, what would you see Jesus interacting? How do you see Jesus interacting with, uh, people today?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, just what you're saying. Like, I think, Jesus would be would be a friend and um, you know, just turn religion on its head. Like we just I feel like in American Christianity we really want to um know all the answers when really Jesus just asked more questions. And I feel like at this point in my life I probably know the least about Christianity mm. and I'm probably the most confused. Um, but I think that's good and I think that means I'm walking how Jesus would because there's things that just don't make sense, you know. And when you're friends with people who are different from you, then things that you thought you knew suddenly become confusing, you know. And so um, I'm just confused (laughs) most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But in that confusion, I feel like is where I see Jesus. And whenever I'm like, um, I told my pastor a couple a uh, couple months ago, I was like, you know, I just – I feel like I don't fit in anywhere because I don't really fit in with church people anymore and then <clears throat> with women in the industry, you know, I never worked in the adult entertainment or sex industry and so I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like and so I don't fit in there and so I just told him, I was like, I just feel like I'm like caught in this – this middle ground. And he's like, well, maybe it's not that you don't fit in anywhere. Maybe it's that you fit in everywhere. And maybe that's how Jesus was. And I was like, Oh dang, this mm-hmm. is why you're the pastor.
1: That makes me think of this book I'm reading from by Brene Brown right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, her new book, braving the wilderness. She talks about a Maya Angelou quote about belonging and how, you know, when you really, I will mess up the quote. So I'm not even going to try, but it's basically <laughs> the gist of it is like you, you reach your true belonging when you realize you belong nowhere and everywhere at the same time. Mm. Yes. And uh, that's very true. Like, you know, something you were saying, you know, I, I think sometimes we think of Jesus, if we're not careful, we can think of Jesus in two different camps. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus would, oh, would Jesus spend all of his time at the church with all the church people and trying to love and, you know, and help them, teach them and grow them or whatever? And, you know, maybe he would, uh, then would Jesus spend all of his time out with the sinners and the tax collectors, you know, all these different things. Like, would he be in the strip club, you know, Mm. unconditional, you know, wearing his t-shirt? Like he he probably wouldn't (laughs) be because we don't take the dudes in there, but, uh, but, but the idea that like, we, we generally have this picture of Jesus going, Depending on what your like, your skew is like, mm-hmm. which way you generally would bend. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, no, he would definitely spend his time, in, and he'd be with the strippers. No, 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 he'd be with the church people. Depending on where you're at, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is, mm-hmm. he was with both, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, depending on who he was with, he was always trying to. He was almost like inviting this crew to the table. Mm-hmm. you have a seat at the table you're welcome at the table you know like, i don't care if your stripper comes to the table and then what he was trying to teach people over here is like hey add a chair mm-hmm. create some space mm-hmm. adjust your viewpoint <laughs> like right. there's room for all of us and he was just always trying to invite all of his children around the table i used use this example this last week about my kids um you know when my son will smoke my daughter and like just hit her <laughs> or something or vice versa. Like, one of the... It's it's inevitable that they're, like, against each other, right? Like, you should do this to Bronx, or you should do this to Kenley. You know, and they have, like, this whole, like, little fighting thing. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is you sit in the center, and, yeah, there probably needs to be some adjustment in this dude, and then she needs to have some adjustment there as well. But what we really need to do is, like, help you guys be able to see, like, I'm not choosing a side here. Right. Like, I, you're both my kids. Right. I love you both. And I, what I really dream... Is that you guys can figure out a way to actually love each other, be together, right. and see see you know worth in each other, and right? Um, it,
2: it comes down to just seeing that brokenness, is broken is broken.
1: Yeah, right. and
2: I think it's easier to point out the brokenness in somebody else. So I
1: think there's something Jesus said about that, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, about a, a speck in yeah, yeah. one eye, and a, well, yeah, yeah, you like know, that. just thinking about like
2: those you know you read the, the Bible, yeah, those two camps where it's like. You know, if we're only if we're only in this uh, area, we're like, well, I can't. Then I've definitely fallen into this where it's like, well, I can't stand church people anymore because you guys don't even represent Christ and I hate you, whatever. And You are like, well, I'm only going to hang out with people who aren't Christians. And then yeah. you're turning your back on what was God's plan, which was the church. And then if mm. you're in the church and you're just like, those people make me uncomfortable. Then you're turning mm. your back on who God said of loving people that are different from you. Um, and quick rewind. Did you know Maya Angelou actually worked in the adult entertainment industry? Did not she know that she was a dancer. So, did not yeah. kidding. Yeah,
0: did not know that.
2: It's one of my favorite Maya Angelou facts. Wow! It just shows and I you. Love, yeah, I love. I love awesome.
0: her writings. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's fascinating, isn't it? Interesting though, how we can how we can just stereotype people, and and like that fact would be interesting to us. You know, we'd be like, oh, I would never anticipate this person being like that. We don't get to know who a person is until we engage in relationship Mm -hmm. with them. In the same way that I wouldn't, you know, take someone that I met and within the first couple of minutes of finding out, you know, oh, they're an accountant or something like, oh, you're an accountant. You must be X, Y, and Z because these are my assumptions, my commonly held views of what that, you know, profession is like there, right? right? We're more than an occupation. And I know that's something that you try to really emphasize in your ministry is to hopefully move past the point And I know just from my interactions with you that that you wouldn't see someone as this is so-and-so, this person is a stripper, an adult entertainer. No, that's that's an occupation that they are in for that period of time. But they are more than that occupation. How do you help women learn to see themselves as more than that occupation?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's... um...
1: Actually, can I rephrase Do they see themselves as just that occupation?
2: It d- it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, I think part of the struggle is because everyone else sees them as just that occupation. Yeah. And so everyone's kind of in a different place in their journey. And so what I have found with this ministry is a lot of the things are we look at women in the industry and we're like, oh, you must struggle with this, this and this. And then when I think about it, I'm like, oh, well, I struggle with that, too. It just looks different. So, like, mm. for example, like we talk about there there can be a struggle of placing your worth in like how much money you made that night. So like mm. how much men, money men gave you and that's affirmation and all of this. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to sit on this side of the table and be like, oh, wow, you know, like you're more than that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well then uh, Tuesday I found out I didn't get this big grant we applied for for unconditional. Yeah. And I'm in a tailspin of mm. like, I'm the worst and no one cares about me because I didn't make this money. And then yesterday I was sitting in my office. I was like, Man, it's the exact same thing. Isn't it though? And mm-hmm. it's just yep. easier to yep. look at how it's um, like we all we all have the same struggles. They just they just manifest differently. Yep. So like one of my favorite quotes from a Pastor is we all wear the same kind of shoes issues i love that joke yeah um but it's true that's almost
0: as good as Matt's joke from earlier uh right? you know it's yeah. so you're donkey, you inside. it's real <laughs> close so but which is like
2: helping women um understand that that struggle is not unique to just them that that's a yeah. normal human struggle too it's like in america we are obsessed with people's occupations like it's really weird like that's just like i mm. i hate being identified by my occupation now like yeah one, when people find out what I do, everyone starts confessing to me. Like I was at the dentist, my <laughs> dental hygienist is like, "Oh, what do you do for a living?" I was like, "Oh, I work for a nonprofit." Because I was just like, "I'm not getting it." I tell it.
1: people I'm in communications. Yeah. <sighs>
2: Smart. And yeah. then uh, she just kept. <laughs> it. She's like, "Oh, what kind of nonprofit?" I was like, "Oh, we work with women." I'm like, "Oh, what kind of women?" I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's not gonna leave me on." So I tell her. And then she gets real quiet. And she's like, "I." I have to confess, I, I I have been to a strip club before. And I'm like, <laughs> I am not asking for this confession. I've yeah, had yeah. people <laughs> doing my hair telling You're me like, that they once tried. I was there Tuesday,
1: I'm Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right.
2: And people, like, I had someone do <laughs> my hair one time, and then they confessed to me that they once tried out at a strip club. Like, I'm just I was like, oh, my, please, everyone mm. stop confessing to me. <laughs> right. But right. um, So, and then I don't like being put in that stereotype of, like, mm. Um, oh well you run a ministry you must really yeah. have it all together I'm like girl I'm a mess too mm-hmm. um, so nobody likes being boxed in and so just helping women realize like yeah that's a common human struggle so how mm. can we again how can we work through that together and what does christ say mm. about that for all right. of us not just for you
0: yeah and brene actually has some great stuff to say on the our difference good friend between Brené, our our good first my, my, yes good old <laughs> brene has some great stuff to say on on empathy versus sympathy mm-hmm. and and i want to be careful in clarifying how i use this before uh, i say this and that and i'm not implying that we need to have a sympathetic approach but Empathy means that we are identifying with someone in their struggle even if it's a different kind of a struggle. Empathy says I am where you are or I have been where you are or I share this same challenge, the same thing. Like earlier you were talking about, you know, some of the ways that you can find your worth or your value based on, you know, or for the for these gals, you know, how how well they did that night. And, and immediately what popped in my head is, as a pastor or as a communicator is you think, you know, shoot, I, I can think and I can gauge my Sunday afternoons, uh, my mood going on how well I feel I did as a communicator that morning. If I did well and if I had people that came up afterwards and and, mm-hmm. you know, hey, that was so great. Hey, that, that affirming thing and stuff, man, you just instantly feel like, you know, you're you're walking on clouds. And then other times where I just feel like I bomb, just feel, you're worth <laughs> going around with that. And like here that is, you know, that is something that me uh, as, as a pastor, as a communicator has in common with a gal who works in the service industry, who has in common with somebody else who may be a salesperson who tracks mm-hmm. their worth and value based on how their sales numbers are. These are these are human struggles. Right. Right? And they they transcend these occupations. So learning to be able to see someone as a human being, as a fellow human being that we each have our own type of brokenness, we each have our own worth. Uh, that is independent of our occupation i think that probably is such an important clarifying uh factor in terms of how you interact and that's the key to friendship right Right. yeah you know when you begin to move past your occupations into who you are as a person
2: right yeah absolutely and just you know yeah like you were saying that empathy sympathy piece is like i mean i have women who tell me situations that they're in that are heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and are upsetting but again, it's like, do you pity them or do you have empathy and help change systemic structures that put them in that situation? Because mm. it's easy when we see someone in a bad situation to look at, like, we want to figure out whose fault it is, you mm-hmm. know? And mm-hmm. and I think in some ways, we want an explanation to make us feel safer, too. Like, oh, well, that's why that happened, and so I'm good. My kids are safe. Like, that's never going to happen to me and my family. Um, but empathy forces you to look at how it could and look mm. at that you know if if just a few things had changed in, in my story you know i didn't get to pick that i was raised in a stable two-parent household um where i had a choice of where i was going to go to college and not um, and have ways to pay for it and not everybody has that and so just realizing that um, you know a lot of things that happen to us are, are just circumstance and aren't necessarily um our fault, and then, if something is our fault, then we we wanna demonize that too. It's like well, you put yourself in the situation, you need mm-hmm. to get it out, and that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to walk with people, even in situations that you know for are they're in there for all kinds of different reasons um and uh one thing we're trying to to do about that, if I can go into this a little bit now, mm-hmm. is um you know what we found is when women if one woman wants to leave the adult entertainment or sex industries. Um, Which, by the way, I keep differentiating between those two because Mm -hmm. um, some women who work in clubs and in the adult entertainment industry don't consider it part of the sex industry. And then sometimes people who work in the sex industry, which would be more like prostitution, call girl, things like that, um, don't consider themselves in adult entertainment. So we work with both uh, Mm -hmm. women in both occupations. Mm -hmm. So. I'm just going to say the industry to cover both my bases to not tick any of my friends off. Um, But what we found is that it's really difficult for women to to find work after they leave the industry. So if you've been in the industry since you were 17 or 18 years old and you are now 35 and that's the only thing on your resume, people aren't going to give you a chance. And if they do, then it's probably going to be a minimum wage entry level job and where you are barely making ends meet and you're just in survival mode and most entry level jobs your chances of getting sexually harassed are pretty high. So you're still, you're going to experience that. Um, and
1: specifically if you have followed from, you know, if you've come out of this other industry, if
2: someone Mm -hmm. finds out that you used to work in the industry or that you currently work in the industry, your chances of getting sexually harassed are much higher. And the chances of anyone doing anything about it are much lower. Mm -hmm. Um, and which women who work in the industry, um, the, the rates of sexual assault and sexual violence and it not being reported mm. um, is very high. And the reason for that isn't because the women are like, oh, I just don't want to report, but it's because when women report, they're told even by police officers, well, isn't that your job?
1: Mm.
0: Mm. and um, it's the same skewed reasoning as you know the the she asked for she was dressed you know that exactly. way she was asking for you know it's which like is it, it so not, messed up
2: it, it doesn't matter if you're a stripper or a prostitute like you can still be raped and mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. that needs to be taken seriously but anyway, that's a whole different mm-hmm, that's a different mm-hmm. podcast <laughs> um <Yeah. laughs> but so what we found is you know that's not really that's not any more god glorifying that's not any more um someone walking in their purpose and so we just started dreaming of what would it be like to create opportunity for women who are needing time out from the industry to just pause and figure out what is next for their life, um, work through cultural differences that come from working in a "quote unquote" normal, you know, job from the industry, and just having a sense of community and belonging. And so. Um, in the fall of this year, we're going to launch Equip360, and it is a workforce development program um, where it's one year where women will be paid to be there um, because we believe that their time is worth it, or um, they will take classes that focus on mental wellness and um, healthy relationships, financial stability, and spirituality, and then they will also be working part-time at a local social enterprise that we're partnering with. So they're Mm. getting that work experience as well as the time to take classes and be reflective and figure out what they want next for their life um, while still being able to make ends meet and having a community of support around them. So Mm. that is what's on the horizon for us that we're doing a lot of fundraising for right now um, that we are dreaming of making a reality. And I've already had Lots of women from the industry reaching out to me and being like, well, when's that going to start? I have friends who are just waiting for us to get funding because Mm. they're ready for it and they want it.
0: Yeah. And by the way, I should point out at this point there, if you've not yet checked out unconditionalministries.com, that's a great resource to be able to learn more about this ministry. There's some links and information about uh, the Equip360 as well as some of the different funding opportunities for anybody who wants to be a part of investing In these lives and in in helping women uh, really uh, the the, it comes down to choice is Mm -hmm. doesn't it like give them the opportunity to make their own choices for their life right and I
1: remember in a conversation we had it may have been a lunch or it could have been the last time we tried to do this (laughs) you talked about one of the the big differences and you alluded to it a second ago about how a, a support network is a big part of this like one of the things that keeps many of us from falling into decisions or making decisions that, uh, are heading in a direction that maybe we don't want to go is like, if something were to happen, I know, okay, I got, mm-hmm. I got someone in this house I can go stay at for a minute or, yep. you know, I've got, I've got people who will help support me through a tough season or right. whatever, uh, if that were to come up, you know, and some of these people, uh, some of our friends here, they don't have those same support networks mm-hmm. and and I think that's an important part of what you're trying to create.
2: Right. It's, it's all about community because, you know, true poverty isn't lack of money. It's lack of a support system. Mm. It's like what you were saying. Like, I know if I lost everything, I would not be sleeping on the streets or I wouldn't be forced into a situation of, OK, I can either sleep on the street or I can go strip. What am I going to choose? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's never that's never going to happen for me. And so just being able to be that support system that also even not even that deep, but just of having someone to text you and be like, I believe in you or just Mm. to encourage you. Um, I recently had a friend reach out to me and tell me I met her like five years ago in the club. um, Tell me that having someone to reach out to just to encourage her saved her life. Um, and that was very humbling to me because, you know, I think like, oh, it's just a text. You're just sending someone text. It's just a text. just a friendship. Right. It's just a friend. Like, I'm because I, I feel like I hadn't done that much for her at all. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, we just hung out like we're friends. Um, and then she told me like, no, like that friendship saved my life. And um, it's oftentimes we think that helping people or being like Jesus is just like this real Big thing that we have to do, or people will even look at unconditional and be like, Well, that's a big thing. I'm like, it's literally just being someone's friend. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. It's well, literally
2: getting lunch and hanging out and going yeah, to your kid's birthday that party. Friendship
1: and, has a different value than, Oh, we're not just trying to, like, this is a ministry that's not just trying to create friendships. The friendships become that's a support network. And right. And that support network has a way of changing the trajectory of someone's future. And there's so much value in it, you know, and, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's great. I, yeah. I love
0: it. Yeah. If we can uh, continue sharing quotes there, another one of my favorites there is Richard Rohr. He says, in some ways, the gospel of love is so hard to live because it is so very simple. We mm-hmm. strangely assume that God has to be so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about what you do and the approach to your ministry is the simplicity that is there, this inherent desire to develop meaningful friendships and relationships, and out of that to see where it goes because people don't want to be viewed as a project. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think, as followers of Christ, we can get wrong so easily. If you view someone as a project as a you know whether it's you know in some village on the other side of the world and mission standpoint or somebody in our own backyard people don't want to be viewed as projects they want to be seen as people and one of the things that we know from how we saw Jesus interact with people in this world is he saw individuals as people he saw mm-hmm. past all these different uh, layers that they would put up into the heart of who they were and that's probably one of the best things that we can do as followers of Christ is to learn to develop those relationships and that's probably one thing that we can do regardless of whether it's in the uh in the adult entertainment industry to our neighbor next door who Mm -hmm. we don't know their story
2: right yeah and that's that's the thing too Is like people I feel like especially in millennial Christian culture is like we have this idea of like find your calling and the people you're supposed to reach and it's like who is in your life every day, you know? And sometimes God will put specific people. Like it was very clear to me. He was like, no, homegirl, you're going to go to clubs and this is what you're going to do. So sometimes it's a little more specific, but it really, you know, but if I am going to clubs and trying to build friendships and loving people, but I'm ignoring the people I work with every day who also Mm -hmm. don't know Jesus, then it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. And then you are making someone a project because then you're saying like, well, this person who I know who doesn't know Jesus, you know, they're they're all right. They're living the American dream, but you, you're really screwed up. And so I better be your friend. And so that's helped check me over the years. So that was something I definitely did. And then I felt like that was God's way of helping strip out some self-righteousness in me of like, okay, like, do you really believe all sin is equal? Because you're putting a lot of effort there, but you're not putting effort there. Mm -hmm. And you're not putting effort in yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, and then um, just those authentic relationships help you, uh, help prevent you from making someone a project because I have friends in my life who who will call me out on um, anything that we say that might be offensive. Like one of my friends, I make her read like everything before we post it. So I'm like, hey, girl, um, can you just let me know if this is okay? And so, and she'll tell me, she'll be like, this is disrespectful. This is stereotyping. This is assumptions. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, like, thank you because there's a lot of people, especially when we're trying to help people. Um, They won't tell you those things because they don't want to make you feel bad or they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And so you have to have those authentic relationships where you can have uncomfortable conversations. And uh, I mean, there's been I've had a lot of uncomfortable situations Mm -hmm. where you're like, dang, like God is straight up talking to me through my friend and telling me that like how I'm conveying something is still like, I think I'm better than you.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. Well,
1: I I think this is I, I'm enjoying it and I'm I I think about this like uh, what was it, two or three weeks ago I didn't know you. And so i I'm, I feel like I got a good friend here. Like, oh, I <laughs> love what she's doing. I love that I'm glad that I get to be in your friend circle as well. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. It's very exclusive. It's very exclusive. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I listen, my, my circle's really small. So, yeah. Yeah. no, but ha- how can the, how can people like it Inspire or maybe other people who are listening, you know, engage with what you guys are doing?
2: yeah so right now we are doing a monthly giving campaign um so we're trying to reach up our monthly giving by um we're trying to increase it by five thousand dollars a month so the the first step of that is we're trying to find 25 people to dedicate um donating 35 dollars a month um and getting getting financial stability to be able to hire our program director to make equip 360 is um, really the the biggest way people can help right now and I know it's uh, kind of boring and not exciting but like we need fundraising um, but we do and so um, we need churches to get behind us and and just people to to invest in this because um, you know we we believe in our friends and we believe in what we're doing um, and then also we're also we're always looking for volunteers so you can go on our website and fill out an inquiry form um, our volunteer process is pretty long it's usually like two to six months depending how quick someone moves through it Um, for women that want to volunteer on club team. The reason of that is just because we want there to be um, consistency and Mm -hmm. for it to be the right fit for people um, and to make sure no one's going to go in and mess up the friendships we've spent six years building. Uh, But then also men can get involved in our prayer team. Uh, My husband leads that every month. We pray for our friends and then we have events teams um we have opportunities for people to provide um food and things for our gifts every month um we just started a daytime outreach which i'm really excited about so we started taking lunch once a month to one of our clubs so there's lots of ways so just fill out an inquiry on our website and then i'll get back with you
0: i like it yeah well sarah thank you so much it's been a real privilege to be able to have this conversation i look forward to many future uncomfortable conversations that (laughs) uh, you mentioned because that I I think if we're not being stretched out of our comfort zone that you know we're we're not asking the right questions or we're not leaning into the conversation enough Uh, and I, I love that you are fully leaning into and embracing the complexity that is life and the the complexity that is this ministry. So we're uh, privileged to call you our friend. And, uh,
1: it feels like she's a kindred spirit with a lot of the stuff that we wrestle with around here at Inspire, not to like toot our own horn or anything like that, (laughs) but like one of much of what I feel like you're doing, uh, we're wrestling with in different ways, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's all people, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're trying to make a, create a community around that same kind of DNA. (laughs) And, uh, I'm excited for our people to be able to have a chance to hear from you and you know we've talked about having her as a regular voice here at inspire mm-hmm. and so i'm excited that you're open yeah, to that I'm and excited. That's, that's happening so indeed. it's going to be great
0: indeed so you can find out more at unconditionalministries.com again this is sarah daniel and we are Thrilled to be able to um, continue this conversation in the future. Thank you for joining us here in the podcast studio Uh, again. Again. Yeah, yeah, and uh, (laughs) we'll trust that this conversation is going to make it out to the airwaves and the interwebs and all the other fun places that it goes in the way that it's supposed to do, in the way that it is supposed to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will see you again next time for another fresh take with Bradman.